Okay, so this is the talk that I gave on Mary and Martha. Um, I gave this talk on February 16, 2019 to my congregation. All right, here we go. Now it came to pass, as they went, that they entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And that's Luke ten thirty-eight through 42 we live in a world of so many moving parts, so many options and choices and ways to use our time. Some of these bright, shiny choices may distract us from that thing that is needful. In the October 2003 Relief Society session of conference, Sister Bonnie D. Parkin said, Martha lived in the small village of Bethany, where she received Jesus into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Both women loved the Lord, and Jesus loved Martha, and Mary, in fact, their relationship breached convention, for at that time women were not usually able to discuss the gospel with men. On one occasion, Martha was making dinner, and as the scripture says, was cumbered about much serving. In other words, she was stressed out. Mary, on the other hand, sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word, while Martha became increasingly upset that no one was helping her. Does that sound familiar? Do you think she was thinking, uh, why is Mary sitting there while I'm sweating over the stove? So Martha turned to Jesus and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. The Lord's gentle invitation to Martha may have surprised her. Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. The Savior's response strikingly clarified what mattered most. On that evening in Martha's home, the good part was not in the kitchen. It was at the Lord's feet. Dinner could wait. Like Mary, I hunger to feast at the Savior's feet. While like Martha, I need to somehow find the laundry room floor, I need to empty my email inbox, and somehow serve my family something other than cold pizza. I don't have a lot of time. Like all of you, I have to choose. We are all trying to choose the good part which cannot be taken from us, to balance the spiritual and the temporal in our lives. This can be hard. Wouldn't it be easy if we are choosing between, like, uh, ministering and robbing a bank? Instead, our choices are often much more subtle. We must choose between many worthy options. Elder Richard G. Scott cautions us in his 2001 conference talk, First Things First, when he says, Are there so many fascinating and exciting things to do or so many challenges pressing down upon you that it's hard to keep focused on that which is essential? When things of this world crowd in, all too often the wrong things take priority. Then it is easy to forget the fundamental purpose of life. Satan has a powerful tool to use against good people. It is distraction. He would have good people fill life with good things, so there's no room for the essential ones. Have you unconsciously been caught in that trap? I know I have. Like Sister Parkett, I know many times in my life I get so bogged down with worries and demands on my time. I easily get overwhelmed by the amount of things I feel like I have to do. In those moments, I feel a real kinship with Martha. I can almost hear my Savior saying, Lexi, Lexi, thou art careful and troubled about many things. 
To which I answer, yes, sir, you are correct. I am. (laughs) So if you find yourself overwhelmed sometimes by life's demands like me and Sister Parkin, perhaps you can look further into Luke 10 and take the Savior's advice. One thing is needful. One thing. Not a list of a hundred things. One thing. And that is choosing the good part. But how do we know what the good part is? Camille Frank Olson a biblical scholar at BYU and one of my most favorite BYU professors ever, I love Camille Frank Olson, has written a book called Mary, Martha, and Me. In it, she addresses the question of choosing the good part. She says, Jesus Christ has not left us to discern the weightier matters on our own. A closer look at Luke's account of Christ's first visit with Mary and Martha reveals a pattern. A curious transition among the word images emerges from the Savior's teachings when considered in this light. With exquisite economy of words, Jesus leads us from Martha's carefulness about many things to only one thing being needful to finally choosing that which cannot be taken away. You might say that this is an intentional shift from a quantity of things that fill our time to filling our time with quality things. But how? How do we identify that needful thing that we need to focus on? Let's look at the scriptures. We have many examples to choose from. God gave Moses ten commandments. But the first one was, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Joseph Smith identified 13 articles of faith, but the first one was, We believe in God, the Eternal Father, and in His Son, Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Ghost. Captain Moroni's armies fought for many righteous causes, but the first one listed in the title of Liberty, Alma 46, is in memory of our God. In the New Testament, when Christ was asked which is the greatest commandment in the law, He had an answer. Now keep in mind that he had the option of choosing between 613 commandments listed by the Jewish leaders as the law of Moses. And out of the 613, his answer, in Matthew 22, 37-38, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Ezra Taft Benson extrapolates this truth. Why did God put the first commandment first? Because he knew if we truly loved him, we would want to keep all his other commandments. We must put God in the forefront of everything else in our lives. When we put God first, all other things fall into their proper place or drop out of our lives entirely. Our love of the Lord will govern the claims for our affection, the demands on our time, the interests we pursue, and the order of our priorities. We should put God ahead of everyone and everything else in our lives. Well, this sounds simple in theory, but can be way more difficult in practice. How should I evaluate the way I spend my time? Richard G. Scott has a good answer for that. He says, Find a retreat of peace and quiet where periodically you can ponder and let the Lord establish the direction of your life. Each of us needs to periodically check our bearings and confirm that we are on course. Sometime soon, you may benefit from taking this personal inventory, and he gives us a list of questions. And these questions are, what are my highest priorities to be accomplished while on earth? How do I use my discretionary time? Is some of it consistently applied to those highest priorities? And is there anything I know I should not be doing? If so, I will repent and stop it now. For me, I have recently come to this conclusion that I need more quiet time in my life, where I am unplugged and undistracted. Um, This past month at school, 
I taught several lessons to my students about technology addiction and what it does to our brains. As I observed my students' reactions to various medical studies and truths we uncovered about the role of technology in our lives, I realized that I needed to make a change in my own life. I am too connected. I discovered that I need to have a quiet time each morning to ask myself variations upon the questions Richard G. Scott poses above. I found this time in my morning commute. I have a commute about 30 minutes each morning. I used to fill this time with music or audiobooks, and I still listen to those on the way home. But each morning, I now fill this time in prayer and contemplation with my Father in Heaven. It was really hard at first. I found myself instinctively reaching to turn on music or audiobooks out of habit. But I've learned to look forward to this quiet time that I spend listening to the quiet whispers of the Spirit. It teaches me how I need to shape my day and the things I need to spend time on. Sister Parkin says, I've learned the best way to reclaim charity is to unencumber myself and simply love and serve the Lord. How do we do that? We start each day kneeling in prayer to our Father in Heaven. We hear His words through daily scripture study. And we follow the guidance we receive. One of the things I personally have discovered over the course of my life is that things don't go the way I think they should. With the best intentions of my mortal mind, I make to-do lists, day after day. But if I'm following the Spirit, there are almost always times where I find the items that I thought should be on my to-do list are not actually the items God has on His to-do list for me. An example would be last Friday night. I decided that I needed to get this talk written right then. I felt that there were too many other things that would be taking up my Saturday and my Sunday morning. Well, I'm writing this talk, and then my son wanders into the room where I'm writing, and he starts talking to me. My teenage son, you know, and if you have a teenage boy, you know how hard it is to get them to talk. It's like pulling teeth. And my teenage son comes in and starts wanting to talk to me about all things, really, about prioritizing his time when it comes to schoolwork and video games. And I felt the spirit whisper in the back of my mind saying, listen, your teenager is talking to you. What is more important, a talk that you know your Heavenly Father will help you put together or talking to your teenager? If you have teenage boys, you know that getting them to open up and talk like this is really hard. So the fact that he came voluntarily to me to talk to something about like managing his homework time, I realized immediately this needed to be a priority. This was the good part. If I had kept to my inflexible mindset that this talk has to be done now, I would have missed this precious opportunity. Am I perfect at this? No, no I am not. And I'm sure I've missed spiritual opportunities as I let other priorities of the world crowd in and drown out the sound of the Spirit. And I'm sure as I have attempted to follow what the Lord would have me do, I have done so imperfectly and created messes and made mistakes. However, I take comfort in this quote from Gordon B. Hinckley. Now, my dear sisters and brethren, you are doing the best you can and the best results in good to yourself and to others. Do not nag yourself with a sense of failure. Get on your knees and ask for the blessings of the Lord. Then stand on your feet and do what you are asked to do. Then leave the matter in the hands of the Lord. You will discover that you have accomplished something beyond price. Each day is a new chance to reprioritize our life in a way that puts God first. To end, I'd like to quote Sister Parkin again. One thing is needful, to follow him each day. Choose ye therefore Christ the Lord. Choose to feast upon his word. Choose to trust in him above. Choose to wait upon his love. And choose to give him all your heart. Choose ye therefore that good part.